Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. The person who took 17 lives in Parkland, Florida in 2018 was recently spared the death penalty. Hear from Manuel Oliver, the father of Joaquin, who was murdered that day, on his reaction to the sentencing. Well, I think that um, the system failed Joaquin twice. Hear his reflections on the future of gun laws. I would love to say that we're bringing results. I don't know, because I see people dying from gun violence every single day. But I do know that we are part of a platform that includes young Americans that will make things change. And hear about his own identity and relationship with fear. I am not allowing the killing of my son to be also the killing of my son's dad. So no fear is allowed. I'm Kion Wolf. That's coming up next on Audacious. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kion Wolf. When I first connected with Manuel Oliver for an interview, it was for a show we were doing about protest art. His son, Joaquin, was one of 17 murdered students and teachers at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, back in 2018. Manuel and his wife, Patricia, started an organization called Change the Ref. They use urban art and nonviolent creative confrontation to raise awareness about mass shootings. One project created by Change the Ref is called the NRA Children's Museum. Picture a drone shot of 52 empty school buses in a parking lot. The way they're parked is in the shape of an AR-15. Here's Manuel describing the buses and what they mean in a video just released by Change the Ref. We have 52 empty school buses representing more than 4,000 kids that lose their lives every year in our country because of the inaction of politicians like Ted Cruz. We're gonna go and visit Mr. Cruz in his house. We want him to see what these school buses represent. These school buses have items that belong to these kids, hats, backpacks, stories, books, T-shirts, shoes, everything that represents them, including Joaquin. We have this letter that our son Joaquin wrote, and we're giving it to Ted Cruz. The date we recorded these first two segments of the show was on August 1st, 2022. That's just three days before what would have been Joaquin's 22nd birthday. In the final segment, you'll hear us catch up with him recently. And here's reactions to the jury's decision last week to spare his son's murderer the death penalty. But first, what did he want to do next with those buses? The plan is to visit legislators that um, have not been able, for numerous reasons, uh, have not been able to stop gun violence or, or prevent it from happening, which is a very preventable thing, uh, if you think about it. Um, so we are trying to create that awareness and a little bit of disruption by, by bringing these projects to their offices and, and, and homes, actually. We did it with Ted Cruz, and, uh, and we will do it again. The, the plan is to keep on bringing this um, amazing activation to right to their faces and make sure that they cannot ignore it this time. And the overhead photo that made my heart skip a beat was, were these buses parked in the shape of an automatic weapon. An AR-15? Yeah, uh, not only that, you have to, that was a hard one. I mean, really to to, to get all that set up, it, it was uh, back and forward with the drone. And, you know, there's a lot of effort. There's a lot of, of human resources that uh, have been, they really, really feel the need of doing this. This is not, it's not only about the, the money that a project like this one could cost. Uh, it's more about the, the bravery and the need of some of us of just making this happen. So that's a, that's a great um, image. I, I, I saw that one. Yeah, it's, in, it's incredible. Why Ted Cruz? 
It's a well-known name, number one. It's a well-known bad name. Uh, if you if you think about the NRA and, and politicians receiving money and being ironic and sending thoughts and prayers, uh, Ted Cruz has a lot of that. Um, he also has kids. So um, it's we think that it, it will be easier to understand the pain that I suffer. Like, for example, today, my wife, it's in, in the courtroom listening to the autopsy of our son Joaquin. So that is really painful. I, I had to listen to that too a couple of hours ago. One of the artifacts that was handed to a staff member uh, who approached you at Ted Cruz's home was a letter that your son wrote, Joaquin, five years before his death. Will you tell me about that letter? Yes. Um, Joaquin, between other things, was a very smart dude. He would love to get involved in a deep conversation about social justice and anything that will require um, some level of, of uh, knowledge of society and, and, and rules of living together. Um, he was only 12 years old. They had this uh, school project. And I, I assume, doing the math here, um, I assume that it happened. It was a project that it happened recently after Sandy Hook. So again, decided to write a letter to gun owners asking them uh, why is it that they're not okay with a universal background check. And also um, at some point he, he asked, maybe you are having fun with these killing machines. So he used the word kill machines, uh, universal background check. And this is a 12 year old kid. I was not that involved at all by then uh, because you're not expecting this to happen to you, of course. Uh, which is a big mistake. I think that people today are more afraid, are carrying a fear that that probably five years ago or 10 years ago, we didn't carry. Now it's part of the conversation. So we took that letter and uh, we frame it. I tried to give the letter to Senator Cruz, but some bodyguard in his house told me that he was not there. And so I left it with him. I don't think he ignores that we did that. There's no way to ignore that 52 bosses were in your neighborhood, uh, which is a fancy neighborhood. And, and, and I was not expecting anything less than that. But that's not the problem. Problem is that I went to your house. So I, I really try to find a solution here. Um, you don't pay attention. I'm going to make a big deal out of it. And, and if one school bus is not going to work, then let's try 50. And you know what? Uh, we're not going to stop. So... Uh, we're making sure that every senator that is on the same aisle will be ready for some school bosses to approach to their homes. It could happen at any time. Thank you for telling me about that. I I know it's important to also, in the middle of all of this work you're doing, to let people know what Joaquin was like uh, as a son, as a best friend, as you've called him, and the fact that he was already at such a young age engaged in speaking about the responsibility of being a gun owner and challenging authority. Um, that's pretty much in line with what kind of person he was in general. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know that my son, I remember one day I picked him up in school and he said, um, he was talking about a teacher and he said that that guy's an ass. And I immediately went, you know, like a, like a dad, well, what is it that I should do here? Oh, wait a minute, it's your teacher. You have to respect your teacher. Like, look at that. Like, I, I really feel like very idiot with that answer to my son, as when I think today. So I'm like, yeah, all that, yeah, you have to respect his teacher. He's like, no, he's my teacher, but he's an I'm, I'm telling you. So why do I need to respect someone that is an And then he goes, you know what? You have to earn that authority. And this is, I'm, I'm, I'm quoting my son right now. I have respect for a five-year-old girl that is fighting cancer. And I will honor and respect her. These guys are and I won't respect him. You can tell me whatever you want. So I learned the lesson. I met so many since that conversation that have power and authority, but they're not so Joaquin had it very clear 
in terms of uh, what respect, the meaning of respect, the meaning of um, support, how to do that in this life, how to practice that in his own ways. So yeah, but it's an amazing guy. I'm, 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 it's very painful, you know, every time I have to talk about Joaquin. Today is a very special day. Your This interview um, is happening under very painful thoughts, which is fine. We, we set it up for today. So, but usually I am more attracted to the, what the fight means. But just by listening what what my son went through and how he tried to survive, how he tried to protect himself, that pisses me off. So I know that I will move on and keep on doing things like the museum, but it's not easy. I wish everybody could understand that what Patricia is doing, what I'm doing, it's it's not anymore for our kid. Uh, It's for your kids, actually. Much of the art that you've created and shared is a result of an action. Like in Walls of Demand, you had this giant freestanding board where you painted these targets over these silhouettes of children. And in front of a crowd of people who'd gathered to watch you make this thing, you took a hammer and randomly smashed these targets 17 times, one for each Parkland student. And it created a hole in which you put a sunflower. And you see in the video of this, the reactions of people watching you, like you can see the the pain and the emotion in you, but you can see it in them as well. And another performance, <laughs> oh, this uh, one piece that made my blood run cold when I saw it. It was performed basically without the subject's knowledge that it was a performance art piece. Will you please summarize the lost class? Oh, that was fun. Yeah, no, I got to tell you, that was a good day. That was fun. So the last class, it's the first time that that um, an organization like uh, like what we do, like a gun violence prevention group, was able to not only um, trick the NRA, but also create a huge awareness with the result of the campaign. Let me begin by telling you what an honor it is to be here to help celebrate your graduation. David Keene, a former president of the NRA and a current board member of the gun group, thought he was practicing his address to James Madison Academy. But that school does not exist. Follow your dream and make it a reality. It is a dramatic thing to watch a sitting NRA board member telling 3,000 empty chairs that they need to follow their hopes and dreams. The shot from above of the thousands of empty chairs is really astounding. There are some who continue to fight to gut the Second Amendment. Many of you will be among those who stand up and prevent them from succeeding. The James Madison Academy was a fake academy, and and we turned that website into a change ref website. Uh, it was it was linked to our nonprofit, and now you can see in the last class how these guys giving a speech to dead kids, represented by 3,040 empty chairs. We did this to create awareness and and make people understand. That's why we do uh, what we do. That's exactly why we use art. Um, we we decided to go in that direction, and it's we, we. I think we are at least. I would love to say that we're bringing results. I don't know because I see people dying from gun violence every single day, but I do know that we are part of a platform that includes young Americans that will make things change in in the next 10 years or so. So I am very proud of the um, inspiration that we get from our son Joaquin. Um, I'd like to hear your reflections about your own fear and anger starting with fear, when I think about all that you've done, all the art you've made, um, both with your bare hands, uh, with your mind, with your organizing skills, with your anger, with your love. I wonder where fear resides in you. Like some of these things that you're doing, I think a lot of people in pain would be afraid to think of, let alone manifest. That's the step further you go that most people don't. 
in this pain. And so I wonder what your relationship to fear feels like when you're developing your art. I don't, I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to um, sound like the powerful guy that is doing these kind of things or the powerful woman that my wife is representing out there. We, but we don't have any fear. We don't, we, fear is not part of our feelings. I'm not afraid. I am not afraid. I was really afraid when they called me and I didn't hear from my son and I was desperately looking for him on, on that February 14th. Um, my wife was terrified that day. And it's like a level of challenge, challenge of fear that it actually erases any possible fear in the future. I also know, and maybe here's more, a more accurate answer in addition to what I just told you, that we have always been very clear that we are Joaquin's parents, okay? And, and when you're a parent, um, you protect your kid. You, you will give your life away for your kids. It's a rule. It, it, in, I'm not going to say in all cases, but in most cases, if not all, uh, we... Our life changes when 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 we have a kid, when we give birth to a kid. So that happened to Patricia. That happened to me, and um, I'm still working that. That hasn't changed. I'm I am not allowing the killing of my son to be also the killing of my son's dad. So no fear is allowed. Uh, no risk is allowed. Just like if my son was here planning for a better future, I will be working for him on that. That explains how we do this. And it's the only motivation, again, the only motivation that I have is uh, in life in general. I don't have any other. It's Joaquin and, and the fact that I'm his father. Your feelings of anger are obvious and you have every right. Um, you have known and you do know a righteous anger. You've known it as of today for 1,629 days since your son was murdered. And it's clear that anger is one powerful ingredient in the makeup that gives life to your art. And anger is so often a... Reflection isn't the right word, but it can be almost like a, a gauge of the depth of love. You know, like your anger says, this isn't right because of how it affects and offends the love that I feel, the love that I hold. It's, it's almost like the more I love a thing that's been hurt, the more anger I feel about this having had happened. So I wonder, I wonder if you ever imagine a time in your life in the future when anger it's not a major element in your art. And if you do ponder that, what kind of art do you imagine making? Oh. Wow. Um, anger will come and go, okay? It's not a permanent feeling because I'm busy doing other things. I'm busy using love. For example, like in three days on August 4th, it will be Joaquin's birthday. He should be turning 22 years old and we celebrate his life. And we're doing it in, a, in an amazing way. We do it every year. This year we're going to the metaverse and we're doing a whole event with some gaming huge company. So those things keep me very busy. And um the love that I have and support that I get from my wife, it helps a lot to not be mad the whole time. But um, I do feel anger and, and I, think, I think I feel a lot of injustice. I don't play by the book. I think it might be between other things because I was not raised in this country. So I don't understand some things. I don't take them as rules. I don't understand why there is such a thing that gives my neighbor the right to own an assault weapon and, and not have that registered anywhere. I don't buy that. 
and I and I think I'm a I'm a person of the world. I've been in many places. Uh, I've seen how other societies were able to fix these problems. So I'm, I think we should be a little less arrogant and and hear what others have done. First world countries, by the way, and how can we emulate them and probably save a lot of lives. So that it's um, where I see injustice. I why and and I said it at the beginning. This is what happened to my son was preventable. It was not that my son died from a, from something that had no cure. And I need to admit that my son was going to die regardless. It's not true. My son died because of the inaction of a system that allows Americans to carry assault weapons. Of course, there is a shooter. Of course, there's a trial. Of course, he's a killer. Of course, he deserves the worst. But as a system, we have more than 100 people dying per day because of gun violence. So there's a problem here. I don't like that problem. That makes me feel mad. That Anger, thank God, I know how to send it somewhere, either through paintings or through an interview, or I have path that I can follow with my anger and my love and my injustice feeling and all that. So at least I can release myself from that way. Um, but am I trying to be happy? Um, how is that art going to be moving forward, which is part of your question? I don't know. I don't. I don't even consider myself an artist. I do sh that I know how to do and put them together. And it's always a statement from a father. Art is a tool that I have. Uh, I could be a writer, and then I will be writing things. But I'm not. So I try to use my very little knowledge of art and skills and, and put them together, and they become statements, which is. Statements from Joaquin. Lately, we have done great things. I, I, I um, because of, of art, I was able to connect with Shepard Ferry. Now I have more people concerned about Joaquin, which is my role here. My, my, our role is to get more and more people involved. The fact that you're asking me these questions, we're having an interview, that means that somehow the information of what we do got to you, and now you want to hear more. That's my duty. I need to get what I do out there. If I'm happy, if I'm mad, if I, that is not that relevant. I don't even know if I'm going to be happy. I have happy moments. I have mad moments. This is a good moment, by the way. So, thank you. That's 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 where my mind is right now. That was Manuel Oliver, father of Joaquin Oliver, who was murdered along with 16 others at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, in 2018. He's also the co-founder of Change the Ref, whose mission statement is to raise awareness about mass shootings through strategic interventions that'll reduce the influence of the NRA at the federal level. When we get back, what Manuel feels about the future of gun laws. Things will change for good, but unfortunately, a lot of people will die in the way together. It's like a war. To win the war, in this case, you're going to have to lose a lot of a lot of soldiers. Plus, when the death penalty was on the table for his son's murderer, hear what Manuel recently had to say about the sentence, life without the possibility of parole. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. A lot of people struggle with sleep apnea and with CPAP machines. Dr. Carl Muller, a head and neck surgeon with Hartford Hospital, describes Inspire, a surgical alternative to the CPAP approach. Only about 60% of patients can tolerate CPAP real well. Inspire is a surgical alternative to CPAP. It's an outpatient surgery. It takes about two hours. And essentially what it does is it picks up when you're taking a breath and sends a two-second electrical pulse to the tongue, which causes the tongue to stick out a little bit and stiffen and prevent the airway from collapsing. Hartford Hospital has performed more than 200 Inspire therapy surgeries. If you've tried and failed with CPAP, you could be a candidate for this minimally invasive procedure. Patients with moderate to severe sleep apnea are candidates. There is a weight criteria, so you have to have a body mass index below 35, and you have to have to have tried and failed CPAP. To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash health. 
This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today, a conversation with Manuel Oliver. He's the father of Joaquin Oliver, who, at the age of 17, was murdered along with 16 others at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, back in 2018. Recently, his killer was spared the death penalty, and in the final segment of the show, we reconnect with Manuel for his reaction to that decision. Let's get back to our conversation. We're recording this conversation on August 1st, and I know it'll be a couple weeks until it airs. And in the time between now and when people hear this conversation, there will likely be another mass shooting or two or more somewhere, and school's going to be starting up again. What does it feel like for you when you hear the news of a new school shooting or a shooting involving children? I'm not surprised. In two weeks from now, we don't know if we're going to be victims of a mass shooting. Okay? But let's say that we made it. We survived the next 15 days. I don't, I don't feel surprised when I hear that there is a shooting. I feel offended. Very offended. Uh, because I'm working on preventing that shooting from happening. And I don't have enough attention from people. So what is it that I'm missing? I start by criticizing myself every time. When I when I heard what happened in Uvalde, my first feeling was, what the f is it that I'm not doing well? How is it that I need to reset our path and put it in another direction? Or what am I what am I missing here? I think that we need to try things that we haven't tried yet. I think that we need to stand up in front of the president of the United States and point at him and tell him that this is not enough. And we all know that it's not enough. So why are we celebrating this? Today's many things is proof that despite the naysayers, we can make meaningful progress on dealing with gun violence. Because make no mistake, sit down, you'll hear what I have to say. If you think you... Let me finish my comment. Let him talk. Let him talk. No one, okay? Because make no mistake about it. This legislation is. I think that those actions, and I see the reflect of those actions, the, the snowball, you know, now I see kids being more offended, which is what I'm expecting everyone to be. So let's see. Hopefully, we're going to be good in 15 days. What does the world look like when, I want to say when this problem is solved, but even saying those words sounds frivolous, but what does the world look like when this problem is solved? No, I, I, I do think that this problem will be solved. And I have reasons to think that way. I like to use a couple of analogies here to explain what I'm what I'm trying to say. And, and one is the, is the tobacco industry and the impact that they had over society probably 30 years ago, 40 years ago, it disappeared. It's not there anymore. It will be a big mistake for any politician to openly let everybody know that he's receiving money from the tobacco industry. That will be a terrible move. Uh, however, it was, a, it was a very smart move 30 years ago. So our society decided to move on and, and, and get rid of that. And, and today, if you want to light up a cigarette, uh, you really need to hide from anyone next to you. So that's one. Um, I can also bring the, um, the gay movement and the, the gay marriage. Uh, at some point, it was something that some people will say, you will never see that happening here. And there you go. We'll have enough few problems here and there, but now you can get married with someone that you love. I see the same future on the gun industry and gun violence. I know, we both know that these young Americans, same ones that, that are concerned about climate change, same ones that are concerned about civil rights, voting rights, they are concerned about gun violence. So if we follow what our history has showed when it comes to those changes that come from society and which are the the real changes because it will be permanent there's no way to bring them back it's not like like writing an executive order and then in the next four years the next guy will just rewrite 
that executive order that will avoid that one. So changes need to come from the bottom to the top. And I really, I think, and I know, and I have all hope and confidence on the American youth. Um, they will make the change, but it will require a few years. And that means a lot of victims, but I, we, we will see, well, I don't know if I'm gonna see it, but America will see itself without dealing with gun violence and without losing uh, for no reason, more than 45,000 people per year. How long you think it'll take? I used to say um, 12 years when I started thinking about this after knowing the kids in their movement, thinking about three presidential elections, maybe. Um, I'll, I'll keep that number. I think 12, 10, uh, enough time for this generation to, um, generation Z and, and uh, to grow up and, and be able to vote and be able to actually um, take some of these seats in Congress and Senate. I'm pretty sure it will happen. I mean, if you remember what happened five years ago in Washington uh, during March for Our Lives, there was a million people almost uh, right there marching. There is no way, no way today or that day that you could put together a million people marching pro-gun or marching for the Second Amendment. So if you see the numbers, you it, it tells me that things will change for good, but Unfortunately, a lot of people will die in the way together. It's like a war. To win the war, in this case, you're going to have to lose a lot of, a lot of soldiers. Do you stay connected to other parents who've lost their kids in school shootings? And how does it go for you to be in touch with them? Our picture of gun violence is beyond apartment and beyond schools. So we have um, a lot of connections with other parents like other survivors. And um, it's good to see that someone understands your pain. You're not alone. It makes you feel less terrible. But there's also these uh, people that are not in the same reaction that you are. They will argue that um, this is what happens in America and you deal with it and believe it or not, I have seen parents that they don't fight again. They don't, they don't put the guns in the debate for some reason. So I, I respect every single parent that loses a son or a daughter. I will never have an open debate with them, but no, I don't, I don't need to hang out with other parents. I need to give support to anyone that demands that support. I'm open to give it, but other than that, this is not something that it's, okay, now let's hang out together. No. You and I, as you mentioned, are talking three days before Joaquin's birthday, August 4th. He would have been 22. You have said he was your best friend. I wonder, do you still talk to him? I feel him a lot. I ask him questions. He answers. Um, he's in my my mind all time it's a different way of communication i in this particular case my son was 17 years old we had a lot of time to talk i enjoyed my son i, I never traveled for work so i i'm a dad that always i was always home and um we had this connection we we were you know a full fooling around all day long and yeah, having fun, listening to music. Uh, it, was, it was magic. It was really magical. Um, but uh, the point that I was going to make is that he said so many things to me and he wrote so many things. He expressed himself in all social media uh, very often. So, so there's a lot of information that describes my son. Uh, there's a lot of conversations. So it's easy to listen to him because he did it in a, such an amazing way for 17 years. He will always have the answer. And I've been thinking lately about the, um, 
the guy that I miss, which, who is not only my little son, but also the grown-up Joaquin, the 22-year-old Joaquin that I won't see. So I have to, part of my brain is recreating that 22-year-old Joaquin uh, based on our uh, moments, based on our conversations, based on his role models. It's not that hard. I mean, you can somehow guess and predict what what will he be doing right now? How will he be reacting? So I like to think that I know my son well enough to um, have that conversation and, uh, and bring him to this actual moment. And always hoping that I will meet again with him. Always hoping that. Uh, I don't know how that's going to happen, but I'm hoping that will happen. So that's uh that's how I see it. There's there's a lot of connection in, in every single thing we do. Once he told me that he wanted to be a great, uh, he, he asked me, uh, how do you want to be remembered? Just like that. How do you want to be remembered then? And I, uh, I, I didn't know another of my dumb answers. I think I said uh, something like, uh, just like a nice grandfather to work on my motorcycles. And I did this and that. And but then I asked him back, I said, how do you want to be remembered? And he said, I want to be remembered as a, as a great guy, as a big, amazing social changer. I want to be remembered like Mandela, like Muhammad Ali. So this is what I was telling you. Like, if I have that reference and many other moments like that one, I could uh, somehow recreate a son as of today. So what do you think you'd have to say about your work with Change the Ref, with all the art you've made, all the interviews you've done, all the advocacy you've done, standing up and yelling at the president recently. What do you think he'd say about it all? Well, um, I think he will remind me the story of the teacher and the authority. So again, listen, if you have to do something which it might put you in risk or, um, you might be criticized, but you need to do it because you think you are making a difference and you think you are doing the right thing and you think you are not only have the right, but you have the beauty to do this, to save lives, to just do it. Go ahead and do it. And, and that's exactly what Joaquin um, practiced in life. He will do things. Joaquin was a doer and I love that from him his attitude, his conviction to do things, he will be 100% on board with what we do. If you could be at a table alone with, I don't know, a certain politician who you don't agree with, let's just say Ted Cruz, what would you say? I, I'm not, I don't see that happening. Let me start by saying that I don't see, I'm not, I'm not looking for that moment. There are things that I'm looking for. That is not one of the things I'm looking for. I'd rather send a message and speak to the people, and then the people will demand a change. Me talking to Ted Cruz is, is going to get nowhere because he's convinced that he's right. And I'm just um, bothering him with my thoughts and ideas, and he doesn't give a shit about my son or any other of the 45,000 victims per year. He receives a check from the NRA, and that's the most important thing. So I will say, you, I'm going to find a way to vote you out, and I will leave his office, period. I don't see any dialogue there. And I can't do that, you know? I cannot allow, after everything that we have suffered, I cannot allow these politicians to get away with giving me more pain or, or wasting my time. It wouldn't be fair with Joaquin. So I don't ask politicians to do things. I put pressure on their agendas so they do things because they won't listen to me if I ask. You said you weren't interested in a face-to-face -face with Ted Cruz, but you are interested in some other things. What are you interested in? Well, I would love to visit the Pope. That goes back to things that we have not tried yet. I think that we need people to stand along with us, not just saying 
send me your thoughts. I I want I, I want to see. I would love to see the Pope uh, complaining about gun violence in America. I would love to speak in the United Nations. I would love to bring to the United Nations the fact that America has a war that we develop inside our country. We provide the weapons, we manufacture the weapons, and we also provide the victims. And some politicians are okay with this, and and and, and none other nation is being um, speaking out what happens here. It's usually what you do when there's a war in another nation. You put sanctions and whoever is behind that, you, you block their businesses of anyone that is endorsing that war. Well, we have the same picture in America. So I would love to be in the United Nations bringing these ideas together. And I will do that at some point. So yes, I like the, the big picture, the, the things that we have not tried, uh, the unimaginable, uh, strategies in terms of creativity, like how do we put together everything that is happening in a way that people can understand it? Like today, I'm in the middle of a trial again, talking about the trial. My thought was to send a post on my LinkedIn account where I have a lot of creatives, not on the Twitter or Facebook. This is only for people that it's in business, asking them to watch the trial and think about it as a pitch from product. I want you to be creative. When you see my wife crying, when you see my wife speaking, when you see what's going on with the autopsy of Joaquin, let's do something with that. So that's why I do it. I, my, my, my son is dead. Yes, I have all those connections. Yes, I am his dad. So I need to be over my own suffering and get done. That's a direction that no one has tried. Again, why do I do this? Because no one has tried it before. Let's see if it works. Well, Manuel, Oliver, I'm so sorry for the loss of your son, Joaquin, and thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you. You're awesome. You take care, okay? <laughs> you too. Thank you, my friend. Peace. Bye. Bye. was a conversation we recorded on August 1st of 2022. After the break, we reconnect with Manuel recently after his son's killer was spared the death penalty. If we're not going to use it in this case, I, I wonder why we have the death penalty. I mean, you're talking about a person that killed 17 innocent people. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. The sun is setting on the century. We're armed to the teeth We're all working together now To make our lives mercifully brief And school kids keep trying to teach us What guns are all about Confuse liberty with weaponry And watch your kids act it out And every year now, like Christmas Some boy gets the milk fits, bourbon blows Reaches for the available arsenal Saunters off to make the news. You're listening to the new investigative reporting podcast in absentia, which means you're interested in getting to the facts and uncovering the truth. If you'd like to help us continue our investigative work, consider making a donation. Visit ctpublic.org slash tap support and contribute today. That's ctpublic.org slash TAP support. Thank you for being a part of the Accountability Project. So you've never donated to this station before? That's okay. Public Media Giving Days are a great time to make your first gift. Here's how. Give now at ctpublic.org slash donate. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. 
You just heard a conversation I recorded with Manuel Oliver back in August of 2022. He's the father of Joaquin Oliver, who was one of 17 victims of the Parkland shootings in 2018. Last week, Joaquin's killer was spared the death penalty. We reconnected with Manuel to hear his thoughts on that decision. Well, I think that um, the system failed Joaquin twice. I was already convinced that by allowing this shooter to have easy access to an assault weapon was a failure of the system. But I, I live in a state that, that has the death penalty as a punishment. And and if we're not going to use it in this case, I, I wonder why we have the death penalty. I mean, you're talking about a person that killed 17 innocent people. And the, the whole argument was that uh, there's some mental health issues on him. And that's why he was able to get away with murder. So this is the second time that the system fails, Joaquin. I want to make sure that there is not a third time. So I need to reset our strategy and see what we can do next. I saw on your social media that you had posted the death penalty wouldn't be enough. Yeah, I uh, I said that several times prior the verdict. And the reason why I said that and I keep that is that I was able to hear with in a very detailed narrative how Joaquin was murdered. I have an idea of the panic, suffering, fear, everything that happened in those moments. It was not an instant that uh, there was a lot of suffering, pain. If you compare that to what a death penalty process will look like or feel like, it's not even close to it. So what I mean by uh, the death penalty is not enough is exactly that. I will approve a death penalty in the extreme scenario where the shooter is placing in a school full of kids screaming and smoke and alarms and panic and police officers afraid to get in there. And then um, someone will shot him four times. And 12 hours later, they will they will let his family know that he's dead. So that's what I meant by uh, referring to the death penalty as not being enough. When I think about the concept of justice on any level, be it a personal slight or something as nightmarish as what you've been experiencing, I think about how justice, uh, the definition is different for everybody depending on what you want. But even when you get what you want in terms of justice, there's still no justice because your son is still dead. How do you look at justice? I, I agree with everything that you just said. Nothing will be able to bring Joaquin back. However, it would be more easy to close a chapter if you know that the killer of your son is actually receiving the worst punishment. It would have been a part of a healing process. Now, I decided to close a chapter no matter what. I'm trying to convince myself when I say that. I'm not, I mean, I wish I was 100% sure about this. I'm not. But I'm trying to convince myself that the chapter is closed and I have to keep on doing things that I that I control. Uh, I'm also hoping that, that he receives a lot of pain and punishment inside prison, but I'm not going to promote or dedicate any more time to that. I have to keep on doing what I what I do best, which is my activism and trying to prevent other families uh, going through this. So what's next for you and change the ref? Oh, that's a good question. Bringing back the school bosses to senators that are still not solving the problem, not even paying attention to gun violence. Some of them are going to be uh, are going to be running on November eighth to keep their seats, and we're going to do the same thing that we did in Houston with um, Ted Cruz. We have to be very offended with the inaction of our leaders after Uvalde. I think Uvalde is the second partman, which was the second Sandy Hook. So. We are now planning our second convoy 
of school buses with a final destination that I won't share right now. So we'll talk again. Oh, yeah. I like talking to you. I like to keep you some, give you some intrigue so you call me back. <laughs> Otherwise, you're not going to call me back. And then that's it. I have to learn how to use the media. Uh, I do want to mention the fact that um, when we did this um, convoy of school buses uh, with more than 4,000 empty seats, since that moment till today, while I'm speaking to you, more than 630 kids have died because of the same situation. So, and that only gives us more than 630 reasons to do this again. So in this terrible situation that my family is going through, and it's not the only family, there's a hundred more families going through this every single day. And it could be mine someday. Oh yeah, yeah, hopefully not. But at least I'm letting you know what to do. Because I never had a conversation like this one before February 14th. So now you have, you don't have excuse. I'm telling you what to do. But it, this only empowers us to do more. We have a um, limited amount of time till November the 8th. But if we can change a few voting intentions, we could win a lot and save a lot of people from gun violence. That's the goal here. Manuel Oliver, thank you so very much for catching up with me. Thank you. You're awesome. Audacious is produced by me, Jessica Severin Martinez, and Katie Tolarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford with help from our interns, Jacob Gannon and Taylor Doyle. Subscribe to the show or see all of our episodes at ctpublic.org audacious. Send me your thoughts on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Kion Wolf, or send an email to audacious at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening.